Hi, and welcome to the latest Trending Tech podcast, brought to you by the technology sites IoT Now, Vanilla Plus, and The Evolving Enterprise. I'm their co-founder, Jeremy Cowan, and it's great to have you here for the latest sometimes serious, sometimes light-hearted look at digital transformation for enterprises. Now, we've been trying to arrange this automotive podcast for a while, and somehow we were never quite in the same car park. Until now, because I am delighted to welcome from France, Benoit Joly, the Chief Commercial Officer of Ouijo. Ouijo is a connected vehicle data company. It was founded in 2013 by entrepreneur Richard Barlow, and it's headquartered in Manchester, England. Weijo collects in near real time 14.6 billion data points. Yes, that's billion data points and analyzes 66 million journeys across a network of 10.7 million live vehicles. Now, probably since that figure was uh, grasped, I should imagine it's grown still further. But in short, it creates mobility intelligence. And the aim is to revolutionize the way we live, work, and travel. Before joining Weijo, Benoit was commercial and marketing director for Connected Car and Data at Group Renault. And Connected Car Director at Renault, Nissan, Mitsubishi. Benoit, it's really good to have you here. It's a pleasure to be with you, Jeremy, as well. Thanks, Benoit. Okay, as usual, we'll start with a quick analysis by Benoit and me of some key news stories we've come across in the tech space recently. And then I'll talk to our guests about the impact their work is having in the automotive sector. So let's start with the serious news. Benoit, what have you found? I found a news actually, which was very interesting around convergence between telecom, automotive, and IoT. Because for me, that's a perfect blend about where I come from. I come from a telecom industry. I've been in a smart home IoT industry, and I've been moving to the automotive industry. And ultimately, for me, it's kind of a sequential approach that suddenly is starting to merge because you know that 5G networks become very precise for location, for traffic, for real-time analysis as well. You know that today it's more 12 million live vehicle on platform with 16 unique IDs and VINs that we have on platform that we manipulate every day. This is a significant amount of data that if you combine to the infrastructure of a city, if you combine to the telecom smartphone data, if you combine with the automotive data, you get in front of a massive amount of data that you can create a lot of very new services on. So what was very interesting for me is a convergence on a technical side, very seriously, because seriously, we think that this convergence will be bringing much more value to the market. But convergence for you and I, Jeremy, as consumers, I mean, as your data plan might be used for your automotive. This is the article I shared about. My automotive, my car is a connected car with today a dedicated SIM. Maybe it might be an eSIM with my phone bill. So we start seeing the blurring borders between all these very verticalized walls that are simply collapsing. It's very, very interesting for me to see that these walls are simply yet to meet, yet to work together. And we start having very interesting discussion in the way of what we call software-defined vehicles with telecom operators, with even phone manufacturers or chipset manufacturers, because you would be surprised, but in a car, you have nearly the same chipset now than in a smartphone, actually, the same components. 
So for us, it's an IoT on wheel. And that's IoT now. That's where I was very interested to discuss with you because IoT now for me, it means everything. It's IoT everywhere and now all together. Yeah, no, it's a very fair point. And where can our listeners find this article to read it for themselves? Well, I think I will send you the link. It's a, it's an article that I found on the news board that I will share with you right after. Lovely. Well, that's no problem. What we'll do is we'll drop that into the transcript. So anyone listening to the podcast will be able to find the links in the transcript. Yeah, it struck me uh, reading it that there are pros and cons to the news. Obviously, on the plus side, HBO home box office bundle in the AT&T offering brings a good range of content to your car for adults and kids. And just as importantly, in-car Wi-Fi, which is easily overlooked. On the downside, it does look quite a pricey offering, but that's really only if you aren't already an AT&T customer. I noticed that they offer very clear incentive to switch carrier to AT&T so that you've drawn to be a subscriber if you're taking up this offering. But from AT&T's viewpoint, offerings like this really seem to be helping the carrier add an enormous number of connected cars. I think the figure that I read was that over a million connected cars are being added to AT&T's network every quarter. And they've done that now for 27 quarters in a row. Now, that's that's a good few years. They've hit 51 million connected car subscribers, which presumably is... um, just in the USA and Canada, correct me if I'm wrong. No, no, you're completely right on that. But now if you look well at the details, you had connected car for the infotainment and entertainment purpose. You don't have it for the uh, telemetry purpose because this remains two parallel streams today. And the whole challenge now is for AT&T and the OEMs to work together on the data itself, on the content of the data. Because today, these are very parallel worlds, you know, you have indeed your infotainment in your car, your Wi-Fi, nice. This is a prerequisite for autonomous car, because when when your, your car will become autonomous, you will have much more time to watch content, so the car will become the next generation living room, hence why HBO, AT&T is very interested to see in the car, because that becomes a space to consume content moving forward. So it's kind of an early stage, maybe. It's nice when you go to vacation, have a long road ahead, and that you want the kids mm-hmm. to be quiet behind, but Ultimately, what I see is the first very strong sign to the autonomous or let's say the ADAS driven vehicle. That means you're going to be less and less focused on the road and much more into your timing and your infotainment. Still again, I want to insist on the fact that today the data plan for telemetry is not mixed to the data plan for your infotainment. And I think the big element that we'd love to see moving forward is a real collaboration where you can contextualize based on your trip, based on many of the parameters of the vehicle. You can contextualize your infotainment experience. And this is this meeting point that we hope will be happening in the future. So that's why this article was very interesting to show you how you can get a better experience in your car. But I see already one step beyond, which is how can you bring the data of a connected car with the data of the infotainment and the telecom together for your benefit, for your safety benefit, for the more money for infotainment and HBO potentially, uh, but also for you to simply get a better experience of your whole journey, the whole trip. Yeah. 
I completely agree with you. And I think um, the aspect of telemetry is incredibly important because it's going to benefit the driver of the car or the owner of the car to know that uh, the car is being monitored for its condition and that any problems are being anticipated rather than dealt with afterwards. Um, one of the things as a car lover myself, I, I've noticed increasingly being discussed is that there are uh, quite a number of vehicles now that are able to use their location to read the road ahead. Now, I envy the French drivers because of the beautiful roads that you have. I live in the UK where the roads are abysmal. And it's not just in the UK. I've discovered this in Germany recently as well. But they are often very pockmarked and uh, broken. So uh, anything that enables your car to anticipate problems in the road ahead and to change the settings, uh, comfort settings, uh, so that you don't have your teeth knocked out is got to be good news. No, exactly. And, you know, what, what we see in our, on our way to deal with data is that we started, as you know, with what we call movement data. We, we collect the movement, the localization, et cetera. We, we then got real time on that. And we launched RTTI, which is real-time traffic intelligence, to bring your traffic intelligence in real time. And then we start adding new layers, like road friction, like bumps on the road, like danger zones, which can be either discovered preventively, exactly as you say, because we know the areas in where people are breaking harsh or accelerating harsh, so we can anticipate this danger area. And we are also, thanks to algorithm, anticipating some work area that are not planned potentially, or that maybe the authorities have not declared yet. So that's something where indeed data bring a real benefit to your driving experience, because not simply we can score you and see how you drive, whether you're efficient, you're saving fuel, you're safe, but also we can get, contextualize again your driving and bring you some more safety thanks to the data itself. Mm. It wasn't, I saw just AT&T being given a plug in here, although the offering is exclusive to 24 car brands for uh, the US and Canada. So if you're driving a Lada East, in Eastern Europe, this may not be one for you. Um, it was also talking about other services offered by Verizon and other operators. So it, it's an article that's worth a look. It, it uh, seems to be quite on message at the moment for an awful lot of people's concerns. Yeah, and it says something that you mentioned very interestingly for us is that it's all about partnership and ecosystem. So they're going to have to work together. Which brand is going to work in a partnership with which content is going to be very interesting because you might have some mutually exclusive associations moving forward between an OEM and a telecom operator or yeah. a content provider. And the same way you have your TV set and you have now your, your, your bouquet of TV uh, that is specific and you pay for it. Maybe some cars will not offer the same content as other cars. And that will be very interesting to see how these alliances will play out together. Yeah. It, this is really interesting, and it ties in with the piece that, that caught my eye, Benoit, which was on jabil.com, J-A-B-I-L. Um, that's the home of a very large white label manufacturer of wireless devices, including for the automotive market. Um, even if you don't know Jabil, you may well have used a device they've made for one of their uh, large branded customers. They had an article uh, called Seven Automotive Connectivity 
equity trends, the first six of which didn't really strike me as hugely new. But the last one described how brain to vehicle technology may be the future of vehicle operation. Um, That really brought me up short and made me read. We'll put a link, as I say, to all these stories in the podcast transcript if you want to read more. But basically, Trevor Neumann, who is the Jabil's vice president of automotive business development, says that brain to vehicle, or this is inevitable, isn't it? Give it the usual abbreviation B2V. Um, B2V uses a device to measure brainwave activity, and it's analyzed by the vehicle's autonomous systems to predict and eventually, we hope, anticipate driver decisions. Apparently, Nissan, back in 2018, uh, developed B2V controls that could be used to drive a car, uh, anticipating your braking moves by your feet or wheel turns by your hand. Um, I didn't read about that at the time, but they referenced that in this article as well. The only problem seems to be that you need to wear a cap covered in electrodes. And I don't care if you're a supermodel, that is not a good look. But Jabil says that B2V applications supported by artificial intelligence and 5G wireless connectivity can help drivers avoid accidents uh, caused by other drivers' sudden lane changes or unsafe driving. I suppose brain-to-vehicle technologies may be overtaken by what you were referencing earlier, Benoit, which is fully autonomous vehicles. Um, But right now, level five autonomy is still mostly confined to lab environments. So who knows, maybe B2V or brain-to-vehicle may play a role for a period. What did you think of it? Well, I I found the article very interesting because, as you say, there there are two parts in this article. The first uh, five or six uh, elements of the seven. Honestly, these are, were things that have been write, written like five years ago. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I've not seen the world changing so much. So that's why, uh, to challenge you a bit, Jeremy, on this one, <laughs> uh, I see a big gap between what is possible and what we effectively do with data today. Because if you look at the experience in a car, it has not fundamentally changed. If you look at the after-sales experience, now that you know the driver of the car, Today, even automotive vendors have not completely unleashed the power of the data in their own operations. And Wilshaw today helps a lot of the OEMs to simply turn data into value for their own operations, knowing the dealer capacity, doing better CRM, understanding customers, doing a better engineering. So all these promises, which are core to the connected data and to this connectivity that is inherent in a car, is just starting. We are scratching the surface. So I see such a big gap between these very basic use cases that we are still to see deployed and this brain to vehicle, which is very futuristic, <laughs> which, as you say, I mean, autonomous vehicle is about that because the brain now become a Qualcomm or NVIDIA powered chipset in a car that computes fast track software defined vehicle data in, in real time to make the right decisions based on multiple sensors for autonomous vehicles. This is what happened with Cruise, with Waymo, with the Chinese autonomous vehicles. So you see there is already a brain. It's not a human brain. It's, it's a computing brain that is existing today. But I'm very amazed on the connected car space for having been here in now for seven years by the gap between the art of possible and what we do effectively with 
the, the data today. And there is such a gap between the futuristic promises that some vendors, autonomous vendors, are getting into versus what core OEMs are effectively doing, which is ground zero today, to be blunt, which is very, very basic still. So how to, to get a line between both is for me a big question mark, actually. No, I think you're 100% right, Benoit, because uh, we've been covering uh, IoT now. We've been looking at IoT since 2010. And I think I wrote my first article about connected cars some years before that, so back in the noughties, um, which means that we're now looking at approaching 15 years since these ideas were being discussed and they're still in many cases not in the market. I think if I may suggest it, there's probably at least two factors to play here. One more recent one is um, down to the chipset shortage, which I think has uh, constrained the makers of even high-end vehicles to limit what they might um, include in some of their vehicles. And certainly in mid-range vehicles, the number of chips has been deliberately constrained so that the car manufacturers could continue to supply the market. Um, The other factor is the age-old one of just because we can do something doesn't mean it's profitable to do it. So we have to be aware as a industry that uh, talking about these things, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody, I get excited about writing on these ideas and yet bringing these things to market, as people often remind me, is quite another matter because um, just because you can do it doesn't mean you can make it pay. No, completely online. And, you know, one of the big struggles when I was in the OEM space was the business case, indeed, the business case for data versus services. Who is paying? You know, who is paying the AT&T bill to come back to the uh, telecom part of it before? You know, there is a question mark about that. But, you know, working with 22 OEMs, tier ones, fleet providers, we see as well a big maturity gap between the different parties. And some people are really more on the right side of the journey of trying to exploit much more data sensors, and they invest a lot of money in that. Some of us are just on a very low level of a maturity scale because they try to understand what data they have. And most of the time, they try to simply get access to the data because you will be surprised, but the cars have not been conceived and manufactured for a while to simply get all the data out. And the infrastructure for IT was not there. So Our biggest battle today is what we call the make versus buy in the OEM space. That means people trying to make things from data, trying people to buy components. So there is a whole puzzle of to be assembled to make the end-to-end data flow work. So that's why we help big OEMs to simply unleash the power of data by getting this pipeline from A to Z well to manage privacy, which is one of the biggest issues that we don't talk often, but it's not about cost only, it's about privacy management, consent management, anonymization, which is very, very important to tackle. And then to really understand how the data applies to business, to the experience, to the third party, to the ecosystem. And on that, again, the maturity of OEMs is from zero to 10. And you can see a big range, a very widespread range. So... Having a brain to vehicle is fine, but that's already 100, whereas maybe at 10 or 15 only. You see what I mean? 
Yeah, let's make 10 work before we get to 100. (laughs) We're in danger of letting our news coverage take over the entire podcast, and that's not a bad thing. But I really wanted to ask you some other questions, particularly about about connected vehicles, of course. But, um, I mean, it's, it's understood that most new cars will, if they aren't already, soon be extensively connected mobile networks with multiple sensors, and they range from imaging radar to ultrasonic devices. Um, What are the implications, if you can, uh, for car makers and for their ecosystem partners? Uh, How are they going to face this? So uh, there are three components, if you look well. There is what happens in the car where all these software-defined vehicles, you know, all this new architecture will help all the sensors from the car to be getting data out. So that's very important because today, in many cars, only a handful of data are able to go out. So there is the architecture of the car needs to be designed adequately. Second point is, indeed, you need to collect the data. And there is a whole question about data cost, about pipe, but telecom aspect. So that's why I think that makes a good bridge with the previous article. And the third one is all about computing of data, computing in real time to make the right decision, computing in a distributed manner at the edge, in the car, in the cloud. And all of that has to be done with a very low latency, with billions of data points, as you said before, for which that are computed in real time in different parts of the network in ultra low latency to make the right decisions. And that's not something that an average data company can do because everybody can talk data. What Mm -hmm. we see is that a lot of the classical data players are not able to cope with this distributed, real-time, low-latency architecture to make the right decisions. And and that's that's a big element to consider in your your question about what needs to be done by manufacturers to, to, to be doing that. They can do it themselves. It will take them a while. And you've seen the investment that they take. They can partner with people like us, not to take their job, not to take their business, but just because we know how to do it at scale across 22 OEMs. So we can bring a lot of experience and get them faster to the the target. We've talked a bit about the data uh, that will be captured uh, in the vehicle, um, about the driver and about the vehicle and about even their location. Does it also extend to um, information about the passengers and uh, what their uh, requirements are? Yeah, of course. But if you have the sensors, like if you have a seat sensor, you can understand how many people are in the the car. Uh, If you have weight sensors, if you have... Uh, even presence infrared cameras, you know, for now for safety purposes, you need to have that. So yes, we we, we want to give more context to the what happens in the car itself. And and again, the cockpit, the, the habitat of a car was not sensorized before. Now there are many, many more sensors in, in, in the cockpit that you can get data from. So that's also a very nice evolution to perfect the experience that you wanted to get initially, which is your content in a car. Mm. Mm. So to enable that, does 5G meet most of our new connectivity needs or are there other connectivity options which we should be turning to? No, 5G is definitely making the job. The latest one, I would say, the one that is about to be deployed with a very ultra low latency, you know, the 5G IoT one uh, definitely makes the job. We see some alternative. We see some people looking at satellites for fleet, for example. We see some uh, capabilities for satellites. But we think that the infrastructure, if you look at infrastructure in the roads, is moving to V2G around 5G. And, the, you know, 
V2 H is becoming a 5G. 5G seems to be winning the, the ground on this uh, capability. So, yeah, we think 5G will be mainstream in the future on that. So X being the infrastructure, vehicle to infrastructure. Infrastructure, the road, the cars, the, uh, your home, V2 everything, because the vehicle, and that's the beauty of a connected car, is connected to everything around, okay. including your home as well. Yeah. And that's a very important point. Yeah. So one of the key elements for making this pay and making this uh, workable and beneficial is the insurance industry. How are they making use of these technologies today and what developments will we see in the next couple of years? So first, don't, don't think that insurers or everybody wants to simply track you, or Jeremy, as a, as a driver, okay? I think there is a lot of science fiction. And obviously, there is a business about trying to make you in the UK a lower policy based on your driving capabilities. But where we see the biggest interest in the insurance space is especially around claim management into better safety. It's trying to automate all the processes because you can bring more data to contextualize accident to contextualize assistance, to, to, to help save lives based on the idea, for example, to recreate an accident surroundings and then understand what's the impact of the accident on the driver or yeah. on the passenger. So we see data as a way not simply to tell you if you drive well or bad, but more as a way to help the insurers do a better job, a smoother job to manage you as a, a driver, but also as a potential policy. Mm. And Emergency service connections are obviously among the most critical applications for connected vehicles. What improvements in care or support can we expect from first responders and when? Well, that's where real time is important again. When is now? If you look at what happens in the US, we've been helping the government, the DOTs, to evacuate the rules during hurricanes. So that's something that is already live for us. It's something where we can bring real benefit frame for the mobility data of the cars already to governments to manage emergency situations. So obviously, when you think about an accident, uh, you can contextualize and recreate the environment to define who was guilty, but also what happened really. But more importantly for us, it's more about safety ahead, preventive safety. Where are the areas which are the most dangerous? Where are people breaking most or accelerating most? That's where we can definitely play more ahead with the insurers, but also with the DOTs, infrastructure providers, operators, to make the world safer. Well, Benoit, thank you. Um, and how can people get in touch with you if they want more information? So they can email me at benoit.joly, J-O-L-Y, at widjo.com. I am on Twitter as well, Jolie Benoit. Or simply, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm going to answer all the requests. Absolutely, no issue on that. Fantastic. Well, it's been great to have you on the pod, Benoit, and thanks so much for your expertise and your time. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Thanks. And thank you too, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us around the world. You can subscribe to the Trending Tech Podcast wherever you found us today. And I know I sound like a stuck vinyl, but... Go on, be a hero. Give us a five-star rating. Tell everyone how much you've enjoyed it because it makes a massive difference to our ranking when people are searching for a new podcast to listen to. Until next time, keep safe. Keep checking iot-now.com, theee.ai, and vanillaplus.com. 
where you'll find automotive and other news and interviews. And join us again soon for another trending tech podcast looking at enterprise digital transformation. Bye for now.